Welcome to the first ever Doctors Without Bar Tabs podcast. It's the show where I bring on healthcare workers and medical professionals to share their stories about their lives and their careers, all while sipping on cocktails. My name's Nathan, and I'm your host. I studied biology and psychology at the University of Psych- Victoria. University of Victoria, let's say that again. Uh, but let's be real here. I am mostly just a bartender, and I know very little about healthcare. So I'm here on a journey to learn with you guys. I want to take a moment to thank Palm Street Studios for providing their space and equipment. My guest today is Eleanor Roberts, kinesiologist at Sitka Wellness, who also runs her own classes at EBR Movement. Eleanor has a Bachelor of Kinesiology and a Master's of Management from the University of British Columbia. The cocktail that we're drinking today is going to be a gin martini, uh, all using local spirits. For this recipe, we're going to be using the Wallflower Port Barrel Aged Gin from Odd Society Spirits, which is located in Vancouver, British Columbia, as well as a local dry vermouth. The ratio we went for this one is a 1-5 gin, gin to vermouth, stirred and then fine strained into coupe glasses. Let's bring on our guest, Eleanor. Welcome to the very first show, and thanks for agreeing to come on. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, um, yeah why don't we just get started and um, let the audience know the audience being probably my mom, um, just give a little summary of your work and what you do in your area of focus. Yeah. Um, so I'm a kinesiologist, which, uh, people usually ask me. And so what is that? Um, essentially I study movement or I watch movement for most of what I do. Um, it kind of changes in terms of what movement I watch, um, in terms of what patients that I work with or clients that I work with. I also teach yoga, Pilates, fitness classes. I cycle, I ride horses, uh, I used to run, um, and I kind of uh, started um, EBR movement during COVID as I became a contractor. Uh, I worked through a couple of studios, and uh, I realized I was sending people away to a lot of different places when I could have been bringing them to myself and kind of growing um, the experience that they had with me, which is what they wanted to continue. So I um, offer, I would say my people that I deal with are in three categories. I deal with accident, acute injuries, meaning uh, maybe you've torn your ACL and you're rehabbing from that. Um, I deal with people that are ICBC accidents, um, so different kind of rehab. And then people that I would cone into the prehab group, meaning they just want to move better, move longer. Maybe they're training for daily life. Maybe they're training for a specific run, race, whatever, or just to move longer, better, happier, more comfortable. Um in terms of what they do on the day-to-day. All right, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing all of that. Um, do you have any sort of, uh, I guess maybe like an aha moment uh, that moved you towards kinesiology or was this something you've always planned on doing? Uh, no, it definitely wasn't something I planned on doing. Uh, Nathan and I went, well, we did one year in high school together and when I got to grade 12, very quickly, I realized the question that was going around was, well, what are you doing after high school? Uh, both of my parents are self-employed, uh, have changed careers multiple times, and I thought their work experience was far more valuable than whatever school could have ever taught them because there was no school that transitioned you from a hairdresser to a self-business clothing owner to a self-coach and a life coach and a soccer coach. And I didn't see a degree that led you in those paths in a competent way. So I thought that was a quick waste of time. Um, and I got quite riled up with people, A, assuming university was the only option um, and assuming university was the option I was going to take um, 
I took, I didn't realize how much offense I took to that until I got out of <laughs> that reasoning. Yeah. Um, and so my answer was, no, I'm not going to university as I quietly applied to five universities so I could take my time to answer those decisions on my own. But I did a class in grade 12 with Shauna Underwood, who is one of our um, gym teachers, and she did a coaching class. And I've been teaching kids soccer since I was 14 uh, with my dad, which is one of my favorite things that I actually got to work with my family. Um, and it was something that I realized that I've always had some hand in teaching to some extent. Um, and kinesiology wasn't, she did that. I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting thing, but I wasn't really kind of set on it. Uh, the other thing that kind of, um, you asked, when did it start? So grade one is when it actually started. Uh, my grade one teacher, she went to Shaughnessy. She went to track. She went to PW. So shout out to Trek. Shout out to Trek. She, uh, she went to UBC and she became a teacher. And I was like, I want to be exactly like Mrs. Gunnar. Well, I went to Shaughnessy. I went to PW. I did Trek. I went to UBC and now I teach people. So I really, I did follow that track unintentionally. So that started quite a while ago. Um, but going into Kin. So uh, I applied to UBC. I thought I applied to Kin as my first choice. I didn't. I applied to arts. And I got into UBC and the last day to accept UBC and I wasn't planning on accepting. I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Um, so I went into an arts program and I went to arts one, which is an intensive literature program, which I really, really enjoyed. We read a book a week. We wrote an essay every two weeks. Um, and that whole time I was like, great, well, I'm going to transfer into Ken because I don't actually want to be in arts. So I transferred into Ken and that was the short of the long story. Sort of the long story. Yeah. Well, yeah, you kind of went like the opposite of what I did. I basically just jumbled around for um, most of my years thinking I was going to be a doctor until uh, until there was one point where I was sitting around in one, like one of my classes. I went this whole time from like maybe like two years old to being like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be like my mom and get into medicine. It was maybe what? Yeah, third year, I was sitting in this one class with all of these like, like hopeful students, all clearly wanting to get into med school. And then there was me there. And I was just like, I don't even know if I really want to do this. Like, You had all these students who would be uh, uh, giving up all of their free time to do volunteer work, do like these, uh, these programs abroad. And then I'd be like, I kind of just like partying and making cocktails and uh maybe these people should be doctors instead of me that's sort of the way i went about it um and then somehow ended up being like now i kind of want to get into medicine but then my grades also told me i didn't want to get into medicine well that's my um i'm gonna say stop point um now is physio is kind of the other option that i potentially want to do more for perspective of a lot of people have extended benefits that cover physio and don't cover kin. Um, and it's a lot of system like med school. Uh, and you can be the perfect candidate. And it's great when people tell you they're, you're, you would be great as thanks. Oh, they I won't love, let me in. Love, love hearing that. Yeah. And so like, that's, that's something that's kind of challenge. Well, it's, it's the new challenge that I'm working with of like, okay, so how does, how does that work? And how can I still provide people with care? um in maybe a different way maybe it does end up being that way in the long shoot um but yeah I was surrounded by people who were always a lot smarter a lot better athletes than me that was something that I wasn't ever I was never 
star choice. I actually, when grade eight, I was on all the teams in sh- elementary school. And then I went into grade eight and they're like, yeah, you're not good enough to play basketball. I'm five foot two. Uh, I didn't think that was a problem. It is. Um, so I didn't, I played rec soccer. I play, I didn't play horseback riding. I horseback rode. Um, and then everyone started dropping out of sport really quickly as soon as high school was over for multiple reasons, injury, they were burnt out. Uh, they realized they actually cared about school or didn't care about their sport anymore. They'd had enough. And that's when I started to kind of excel in all the sports I played. I played premier level women's soccer. Um, I practiced with the UBC rugby team. I played field hockey for a season. I've never played field hockey before. Um, and now I race bikes. Um, so it's been a really interesting kind of prospect of like journeying in my own movement journey. And like, I didn't really put value in the fact that it's kind of a jack of all trades. Like it did everything to not a high level. And now I've realized that the fact that I danced for a whole bunch of years, not high level, but danced, um, did gymnastics, played soccer, played, have played rugby, field hockey. I rock climbed, I horseback rode. I taught myself how to skate. Like there was so many things and I didn't realize how valuable that was until I met the general population, which are exposed to a very wide variety of activities that I actually have something to say about. Cause I've at least have a piece of what you've done. And so I understand things, which I think has been really valuable in what I do that I didn't count. Yeah, you've got to, you kind of went the opposite way of, uh, of a lot of students yeah. who go from being the star athlete in high school to, uh, or at least like on the starting mm-hmm. line mm-hmm. in, uh, in rugby or hockey or something like that. And then university comes around, find out they kind of ain't shit, uh, and just quit altogether or they have an injury, like you were saying. Yeah. And they just stopped playing sports. I just sort of gave up after uh, an injury in, I guess, end of grade 12. I just got sort of fed up with getting enough injuries from rugby that I just completely gave up the sport. And I have a bum shoulder that I'm sure you could, could show, you could work on and show me show me some good movements for that. Uh, and then, uh, but yeah, you kind of were talking about uh, now you do bike racing. Do you want to go a little bit into into that yeah like maybe talk about the events just let me i know nothing about bike racing i i also knew nothing about bike racing i knew nothing about biking i commuted i it's funny because now being where i am now with the bike that i have now when i first started biking to ubc i was 14 biked with my dad to coach kids soccer and i what was i it must have been an old mountain bike, like a trail mountain bike, not a downhill mountain bike, which Ooh, I... Yeah, I did the same thing. Yeah, and it's heavy. And I remember going up the hills and I remember dad being faster than me. And like we also used to bike to the French bakery on a Sunday morning to get baguettes and croissants when I was little. And that was like a highlight, meaning coming home with... Like that was the reward of the bike ride. I could care less with the bike ride. But for some reason, and I'll have to ask my dad, we weren't allowed to drive there. We, we had to bike there to get the stuff, which is now a beautiful journey of I love going to coffee shops on my bike um but uh yeah so I started on a mountain bike going to UBC hated the hills like noticed that they were hills now I don't notice those are hills those aren't those aren't hills for starters those are rollers um which is a new term that I learned probably in the last two weeks um and uh then I biked to UBC on our friend's cruiser that was an experience that bike worth weighs 20 30 40 pounds. Those things are massive. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, non enjoyable. And then I rode a um, road bike that we found in an alleyway that was a Miele, which is a Canadian brand. Um, I shout out to Miele. They're not sponsored. No, no no one's sponsored yet. (laughs) Yet. (laughs) 
Yet. <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't know anything about bike sizing. I just knew my seat post had to be all the way down the bottom. Uh, that frame is too big for me. Uh, it was a 56. I currently ride a 49. Those are centimeters. Um, centimeters are like miles in bike terminology. So that bike was very, very, very yeah. big. Um, and then I got my first road bike. So the journey into biking started... Um, I was working for a cycling um, studio uh, called Method, which no longer exists. And um, my dad had just been diagnosed with cardiovascular disease. And that was kind of, um, that's a whole nother story in its own. But in the short spectrum, he got um, involved with the VGH Healthy Heart Program, which is something that people with cardiovascular disease get kind of invited into as like a heart rehab program. And uh, they had him walking on an inclined treadmill. My dad's tornus soleus, which is a muscle in your calf that f primarily functions when your knee is slightly bent. So if you think about the movement of someone walking uphill, basically your knee stays slightly bent yeah. the whole time. So he'd come home and he'd be hobbling and excruciating pain. I'm like, what are they getting you to do at this place? And I was in kin at the time. Um, and he's like, well, they're walking on an inclined treadmill. For any other population, older population, non-athletic, that's a great way to get someone's heart rate up, right? It doesn't take, you don't need to run. It's not hard on your joints. You walk uphill on a treadmill. Someone with a previous torn soleus, whether he, he told them about it or not, which knowing my dad probably didn't, just kind of was like, oh, okay, I guess that's what we're doing. So I told him, I was like, tell them to put you on the bike. And I remember when he tore his calf when I was little, I'd go to physio with him. And I remember, like, I can remember his calf getting stimmed with electric stim. And I remember him biking. And I don't know why, like, it's very vivid memory that I have. And like thinking back to where I am now and being like, oh, there's all these like little, I don't know, like glimpses of my future in my past, which I didn't know were a thing until I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense why I enjoy that. Or like, I watched a lot of kids run. I know what good movement looks like. And I know what movement that you're like, ooh, there's something going on there. I don't know what, but that run is very different from that run. Yeah. When it was, when you see the kids doing it, you're like, I you're doing it wrong. I can't tell why, but it looks weird. And there's some kids that are extremely coordinated from like day one and <laughs> boys and girls coordinate differently at different ages. Girls can hop and skip. Now we can go into a whole piece of why that's a little bit more. There's a great, great, uh, uh, piece about ACL rehab specifically or ACL injuries in general and boys and girls and why that's culturally as well as cue angles are a big thing people like to bring up. Um, but if you think about what's culturally acceptable for boys to roughhouse and jump off high things and how many times girls are told, oh, don't play with that or, oh, that's too high. And from a very young age, boys are doing high collision activities and girls aren't. And then you throw them into a sport with high collision activities, like high intensity collision activities. Okay, well, if you haven't trained for that, no wonder you're getting issues in that way. So it was someone's PhD study. She was looking at that as part of the component to why there's an increase in female ACL injuries. Um, going back to cycling. I told you I could talk for a very long time. <laughs> no, no, that's good. That's good. Um, so dad was diagnosed. I was working at a spin studio and I was like, why don't you come and try spinning here? And so we did. And he loved it. And I was like, great, let's keep you doing that. It's great for your heart. Take a bit of weight off. So that was the other issue with my dad is there was no like discerning factors that would have um, kind of tagged him for, for cardiovascular disease. So he, his BMI wasn't crazy high. It was on like normal to the higher side. BP, normal, maybe higher side, but still within normal ranges. Um, cholesterol, you name it, everything was in normal ranges that would not get you flagged for extra testing. He went for a physical and my mom happened to be there. Doctor asked him a question. He said no. My mom said yes. Another question. 
He said, no, mom said yes. <laughs> um, and that was something that was, that got him prompted to go for a um, sleepaway study for sleep apnea. Cause they were like, okay, well, something's going on here. So went for a sleep apnea study, didn't have sleep apnea from body weight or size. Um, he did have a deviated septum, but they found an, uh, an arrhythmia. Oh, wow. So then he got sent for stress tests. So he went for a stress test and they were like, okay, you need to be sent for an angiogram. <laughs> sent for an angiogram, three blockages. So it's called the Widowmaker. Great name. Great heart disease. Great name. Oh, I would have brought in Widowmaker IPA. I don't oh, know. there we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so that was, that was the beginning of his journey of how that got found out. Um, and then anyway, so he needed, losing weight was a great option. Went to his doc, went to the cardiovascular, um, the uh, cardiologist and they're like, okay, so you're going to need to stop drinking. I don't drink. Okay. Uh, don't smoke. I don't smoke. Um, get a minimum of two hours physical activity a day. Well, we had a German short hair pointer. So she was a bird gun dog. So he walked her for at least two hours a day, if not more. He was also active with kids. He taught 11 classes a week. So he's on his feet. He's moving around. He's not sitting. He doesn't have a sedentary job. He's like, so what can I do? And they're like, uh, we're ve Oh, um, diet. Great. We're vegan vegetarian at home. Mostly. Okay. Um, so there wasn't really any kind of straight away here. This is how you fix this from a treatment perspective. Cause it wasn't his blockages weren't big enough for there to be a stent involved or any kind of, um, bypass. So it was like, is lifestyle changing? That's the first thing that you do. So I was like, what lifestyle changes can I do? Um, so he cut out everything white. So no sugar, no potatoes, no cheese. And my dad will eat a loaf of bread and a block of cheese. He's English. Like that's a, that's Easy. an English, that's basically an English that's a snack. lifestyle. Yeah, that's a, a snack, snack. Yeah. yeah. And then you're still eating potatoes and then you're still eating pasta. Yeah. And then not cake. in his case because he's vegan, but sausage. Things it, like well, that. He, so dad's not everyone. It's, I was brought up vegan. My mom was vegan. My dad never was. So there's a whole, he, he just eats less meat because if there's not meat in the house, then he'll eat tofu. Doesn't quite enjoy it, but he'll eat it. Yeah. <laughs> comes and goes Come, tofu's fine it's, it's good it's got it's, it's grown in popularity yeah i was bullied for eating seaweed when i was in elementary school and now it's like oh you don't like who doesn't know three kinds of seaweeds i'm sure if you could you had to name them you you yeah. might be able to yeah i started vegetarian got uh got made fun of relentlessly for it stop being vegetarian on my own volition that's a different story about parental trauma <laughs> but, uh <laughs> and then uh yeah i now everyone's turning vegetarian and vegan again. And realistically, with looking at my diet, it'd be something to to look into. Yeah. And um, so that was uh, that was what he did. And then it was like, okay, increase your activity. Great. So let's get you biking because walking uphill is not going to happen. Dad's not going to run. Also wouldn't work for his calf. Um, so he loved biking and the spin studio was quite expensive. So at the end, I think he did maybe like six months and it was through winter too. So he did like six months at the spin studio and he was like, okay, coming into summer. He's like, so we got two choices. We can spend $2,500 on a spin membership or we can spend $2,500 on a bike. Let's get bikes. So we got bikes. Um, and that has been the start of something that I had never, like we've always biked together to some extent, but uh, we got bikes in June of 2017. And that year we did three Grand Fondos together and my dad did six by himself, like total. Um, so he biked way more than me and he would go out on three hour rides in the pouring rain. And I would be like, yeah, an hour's kind of good. We did Cyprus one day and I was like a turn ahead of him on Cyprus. And I was like, 
I mean, like, I get it. It's cool. But I didn't have the bug. And he clearly had the bug, which was interesting. And if you know, you know, when you get it, you're like, oh, yeah, now I understand. Um, so first year went by, did some bike rides. The first the first bike race we did, and it wasn't a, it was a ride, not a race. And I say the difference because I am definitely racing now, not just riding. Um, and we did 150, it was for Canada Day, it was 150 kilometers. We had done a two hour ride around Stanley Park, which is about 30K. That was like, and it took us two hours to do 30K. So what was this, was this the Sea to Sky race? Or? No, so this was before that. This was uh, the Rondonera is put on a Canada Day race every year. Uh, the, we did the Whistler Fondo that year as well, yeah. which is in September. Um, so we did this one as a precursor. Uh, well, we got lost. So we ended up doing 100 and I think 58 kilometers. We also had two flat tires. First time changing a flat tire, not fun. Uh, first time changing two flat tires when you've just done the first one. And then we started rolling and it was like, oh. yeah, front tire's flat too. Great. Let's fix that eight hours in like it is painful and i knew we had 26k to go and on a good day inside in the bike studio you could do 15 kilometers in an hour so dad was like how long do we have left i'm like i'm not gonna tell you because that's really um not a nice thing to hear when you're really tired just gone through something that's like beyond irritating to try and take your back wheel off for the first time and like now I feel really good about changing tires and I'm so proud because I can just it's not scary anymore but yeah. it was it's terrifying well you basically just went through the worst possible day you could have on one of them and then you managed to stick through it so clearly yeah. clearly you still like it so yeah so we've been biking ever since I now have a better bike a newer bike and then um my uncle passed away in 2020 of a heart attack, which is where the heart stuff kind of continues through um, why I started biking and where I got the bug. Um, when he passed away, he started biking after me and my dad started biking and then his other brother did as well. Um, and then uh, after he died, I decided I wanted to do 57K a day for 57 days because he died when he was 57. And that was part of that was a, I didn't realize how healing that would be as I went through it. I also didn't realize how easy it was. Um, and I don't know whether that's like doing something for an ulterior motive that's nothing to do with you, nothing to do with a goal. It was like something that was so outside of myself. It didn't matter if I did a 57 all in one go, I could split it up. I could do it inside. I could do it outside. I had no restrictions on how it worked, but I was doing 57 a K a day. And I either got up early. I biked in the middle of stuff. I biked after like I biked while I watched TV. didn't matter. It wasn't like, Oh, I have to do this hard or yeah. do this with this time in mind. And no day did I miss. I ended up doing 63 because it was just so part of my routine by that. And like the days just like ticked by. And I, when I put them on Strava, it was like day two, day five, day 35, day 45. Like it just kind of went up and went up and went up. Um, and then I did that the next year. Um, I haven't done it this year yet. Um, which is so going out of last year. Um, I was like, what's the next step? Cause like I can bike all day, every day. I can bike for three hours a day. I can bike for four hours a day. Like there was, there were issues along the way and there's a whole list of things that I wish I had known when I started of like, someone's like, ah, this would be really useful. I'm like $200. I don't need new shorts. Oh, yes. Yes, you do. If your shorts are under hundred bucks, I promise you they're not working for you. You need to invest in something that's going to protect you and give you comfort. Um, the same as a running shoe, bike shorts wear out. So if you're still biking in bike shorts you bought five years ago, Please throw them away and buy new ones. Yeah, uh, I, I'll do you one worse. I if did. You I did my bike shorts. <laughs> I went. Yeah, I did an entire tire bike trip. Uh, the one I was telling you about in the in Italy. 
Uh, I did that in a. Um, if you say jeans, I'll walk out now. No, it wasn't jeans. Uh, that would have that would have been something though. No, I wore it just like regular athletic shorts, and I'm I'm pretty sure I was wearing a um, basketball jersey, like an like an NBA team. <laughs> uh, yeah, I showed up. Uh, I showed up. I was also like 24 at the time. Was sh- everyone else in full kit? Yeah, every, yeah. everyone was. <laughs> I, I show up with like this, just like I got. I had a helmet, so I had one thing. Oh, to, yeah, uh, but the rest of it was just yeah, uh, wearing a. Uh, it was oh, it was a it was a Timberwolves uh, jersey, and just regular bike shorts. And I don't know. I was pretty sure I was wearing cross trainers. Yeah, everyone was in full kilt, and I was like, oh man, I feel like I. Either, Underestimated. Either I underprepared or everyone <laughs> or everyone else overprepared. Like I look like I'm about to go uh to a rave in the forest and do acid. They look like they're about to go bike a hundred kilometers. <laughs> uh from that experience, do you would you would you have done everything anything differently if you did? Yes, I would have uh, done uh gone to a rave and done acid. In exactly. The exactly. <laughs> yeah. Never bike again. Yeah. Um I have a patient uh right now who was five years post concussion that couldn't exercise and has just not biked across all of Vietnam, but he did a huge biking trip across Vietnam for like three and a half weeks. And I told him we've gone on some bike rides before and I was like, You need to buy a chamois, like you need to buy shorts with a bike pad in them and he was like no like i'm super comfortable and like we went on a hundred kilometer ride he's like no like i have no pelvic pain i have no discomfort like i'm good i'm like i promise you you won't be um and i actually i did a bike fit for him from vietnam over whatsapp video which is the coolest thing i think i've ever done in the extent of telehealth which is most of what my business is based off and like just shows how far that can go um but uh yeah he was like i really really hate to say that you told me so but yeah, you told me so. He's like, mm. it's not nice. And I was like, yeah, I yeah. did. I did say, um, and it's is something that you don't know. And now, you know, right. You'll never, you'll never make that mistake again. And you're like, no, it's fine. And then you get into a position where it's not fine and it adds up and heat makes a difference and humidity makes a difference and sweat whipping, wicking fabrics and sitting on a seat and a bike that's far too small for you is going to elicit some great responses to your body that you are not going to be able to uh, fix because you are still sitting in the same position day after day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like it works for a day or two of doing it, but then you, you definitely, then, it's over. then you definitely start to notice it and you're like, ah, this is, this is gross. Yeah. This, this sucks. So after, <laughs> after like le- I learned all these lessons, which was great. I've learned them. I will now tell them to everyone. I comes is thinking about going down this path, whether or not they listen when I tell them they will listen when they figure it out. Um, and, uh, I, after biking, we'll say casually, but like more than the average person. So people that I knew that like, didn't really bike were like, Oh my God, you're biking that much. I'm like, yeah, but I know people that bike way more. Like I'm not even touching the surface. I was like, what's the next piece here? I'm like racing. So, um, I did Seymour. Um, they did, it's called the Seymour challenge. So you bike up Seymour last year, which is a UCI level race, meaning that you, um, you have to register for a professional race license, uh, provincial or international. And, um, you race up Seymour and I did, I didn't really train specifically for it. I didn't come last. I think I came. Congrats. Thank you. I think I came seven out of I don't know, 10 or 11. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't crazy, but I was really happy with my time. I did way better than I've done when I've just ridden Seymour by myself and, um, the women's. So 
now that I know, bike racing is very interesting in terms of how races start, but the women's wave started first. So all the women in uh, accumulation of categories um, started and then the men started 10 minutes back. So we started, we started going up like the, the race kind of split pretty quickly in terms of people that had kit jerseys that had team names on it and people who like there's people with their kids there's people on mountain bikes with trailers there was just everyone was you could you could do it like there was people with children it was great fantastic um and you know we're going up going up and a couple people that i'm like i can bike faster than you okay pass that person pass that person and i'm like "Hmm, 20 minutes in 30 minutes in the men haven't passed me yet i'm feeling pretty good because i know they've started 10 minutes back and then all of a sudden this train of three guys like i felt like i was going fast and then i was like oh shit no i'm crawling and then they're like you know 20 30k up a hill up a mountain not a hill a mountain and i was like oh so the thing that brought my attention was this very very tall guy in a pink jersey and i have this i don't wear pink on the daily i definitely would say i was a tomboy if anything else except for when i bike i want as much pink physically on me a because if we can get rafa as a sponsor uh you let me know um but uh I'll try my best rafa yeah. if you want to sponsor this do it <laughs> <laughs> um I want people, I have something that I'm like, okay, well, pink's associated with women pretty commonly and girls. I was like, I want everyone to know that I'm a female on the road. So I want you to know that I have passed you. You want to go for, yeah, the most uh, just female oriented oriented color. Give me all the stereotypes because I want you to know that I have beat you. Um, And there was this guy, massive tall guy in this pink kit. And I was like, oh, cool. So he was the first three breakaway and then a couple more groups pass anyway so we finished the race and i had some family at the top which is great and uh i asked I was like did a massive guy in pink win and they're like oh yeah and so you know they're doing the ceremony and i read the back of their jersey and it says red kilo which i thought was kind of funny because they were wearing pink not red um but i was like oh interesting like i haven't read also, that jersey also before. red kilo if you also want to sponsor just anyone and we'll we'll get that word <laughs> <laughs> give me money please <laughs> <laughs> so um uh i was like oh interesting and i was like okay well whatever so i tried to follow them i followed them on instagram and there was a link to their bio but it like linked to their buying their kit and i was like oh okay you know maybe there's maybe this is a select team i don't know how this works and then i kind of thought about it for a bit i was like you know what, what, what would, what the harm would be if I DM'd them? So I did. And, uh, John, uh, messaged me back and he was like, Hey, like, would love to chat. Do you have some time? I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what racing is, but I'm kind of interested in knowing more and I don't know how I get involved, but I'm, I picked you because you were in pink. Um, so we had a chat and basically their women's team was really, really small and they were really trying to grow it. And I'm like, not saying you don't have to go through a full tryout application screening process but there's spots available um so there's a good shot so when the application came out i applied and i got so now i race for red kilo um and i have done four races i have won twice which was really yeah yeah. i've never won anything individually like i've won as a soccer team when i was 10 when my dad coached which was fantastic i've not won anything since that so like coming first in a like real deal bike race where i beat other people was like no that's that would be such a (laughs) such a good feeling yeah and then so my first race that i did um this is where i was getting back to women in racing so the amount of women that i've met in four races uh 
let's say 15 as a soft number of people that I know their name. I know what they look like in bike kit, out of bike kit. They know my name. They know who I am. I know what team they race for. Uh, I probably know two or three people on the team. Um, and then coming through. So the four races that I've done have all been circuit races, meaning they're just a course. It's about 6K long. Depends on the race. Depends on the length of the race. And you just do laps of the course. I have never come through. Well, at start finish line people i don't know people i've never met saying my name cheering me on saying like what i should be doing making sure i'm eating and drinking like at the side of the road for the first race i've ever done and all of a sudden people are like i'm like i don't i don't know these people like imposter syndrome to the max but also the most fantastic experience ever of there's so much crazy support and all like I've hung out with boys first my entire life. They're the select few of female friends, but I was never in massive groups of girls. So I really actually liked the fact that this team was a male team trying to grow a female team um, because I, I enjoy that energy. And I think that's, that's how it should be. I think it shouldn't be not shouldn't be. There's a space that female only is really helpful for a lot of women and really successful but I think there's also a huge, huge component where men are supporting women, especially in sport and making us count by putting their vote in and making sure, hey, yeah, like let's give the women their own start line. So one of the things that one of the girls on my team, um, she asked because we had so many women signed up, which is so different than the year before. We had enough women to do our own field start. So normally, depending on the category, you would start on the back of the men, which basically mean whatever women could just stay with the men's group, they want because you're getting towed by six men who can do maybe more watts, but definitely there's more of them in the group. So they're kind of on a breakaway. Just for, for clarity, toe is when you're kind of hanging back for wind resistance, right? Uh, drafting. That's, Draft, that's the word. Th that's drafting. Yeah. I don't know what towing is. Uh, <laughs> just just like in tow. So like behind them. Oh, behind them. I'm okay. not saying the, the women still definitely do the work at the front of the peloton and there's drafting involved from both sides. But if you can go fast enough to kind of from the women that I have raced last year, it's like you hang on for dear life at the back of the men's peloton and you're kind of in for a win because the amount of work it would take for the other women to try and catch you is like they're gone, right? They're, yeah. they're off the back. So the first race that I did was like that. So the men and the women started together. So the women that could hook onto the back of the men's group and stay with the men, we didn't see them the rest of the race. Um, so that race I came seventh in, but we had a group of nine women that were kind of like a cycling um, peloton that we like worked together and like people tried little different attacks in and it's a whole bunch of strategy that I'm now learning. But uh, I came seventh in that race out of 17. So I'm like, okay, I was dead scared I was going to come last, yeah. by the way. Like that was my fear. So are you noticing um, just a larger uh, amount of women getting involved with female cycling so yeah so the second race we had enough women that we had our own start so we yeah. didn't start with the women with the men we started on our own uh, we had 33 women in the field of i think was it three four and it might have been three four and four five together it was actually so two categories so racing is you just clarify what three four and four five yeah, yeah racing is in categories so you start at category five category one being the top and you move up based on a point system. So wherever you place in your point system, this is all stuff that I've learned this week. So there's, I am not talking okay. like I know anything because I'm learning it as I go. Um, but it's all based on a point system based on field size. So that was the other reason why you'd start with the men. So it doesn't matter if those people are in your specific category you're racing against. If we all start together, the field size is 40, even though I'm not racing against half of you. Yeah. 
it means there's more points on offer. So depending on the size of the field, there's more points on offer, which means the points from like maybe in a smaller field, so under 15, I believe, uh, let's say the points go from one to five. But if you have a field size of 40, the field size goes from one to 12, for example. And there's more points on so offer. So it just keeps growing, yeah. So you get more opportunity to have points and you need points to be able to move up in the standing. So cats or categories, um, you race in five through one. Um, so category four, five and category three, four women, we're all racing together, but I'm not racing in your race. If you're three, four and I'm four, five. So I led a breakaway on last Saturday, um, not last Saturday, two Saturdays ago, um, uh, in the, so spring series is what we're racing right now. Um, and, um, I led a breakaway and I led the two girls that came with me on the breakaway were in the three, four category. So I very quickly told them, if you want me to work, I'll work because I've, as long as you keep me away from the rest of the group, I've won my race. It's you two that are battling each other out for, for first place. I've got first place in my own race. Like I, we're not in competition. So I'm willing to work at the front of the Peloton. Okay. So it's a, it's a cool way that, that you can actually work with other people within your, within your team. Yeah. And not even this, these aren't people on my team. These are, these are just other, these are other girls on other teams. Um, and that's the cool piece too, is like your, your enemies or your friends, depending on what part of the bike race you're at. And it's all, there's, I want to go into tactics because I know very, very, very little, but it was you, the more people you have kind of working hard together, you're trying to beat the Peloton. doesn't matter who, so the Peloton is the main group of people. People either break away off the front or fall off off the back. Um, so the more people you can kind of create to have a small group to go and push and basically we sprinted for three laps in terms of we were both, we were working really hard, heads down, breathing heavy, not fun to try and put as much space or much gap between us and the Peloton as possible. So uh, there was a motorcycle leading us around the course. And at some point he pulls off to the side and kind of backs up. So he's in line with us. And he's like, you've got a 40 second gap from the Peloton. Well, that's closable in terms of if they start to work really hard and we start to slow down, 15 yeah. people are going to be able to catch three people as long as if we don't, if we back off our pace. So we kept our heads down. You got a 70 second gap. Okay, cool. You got a 90 second gap. So we ended up winning that race with a two and a half minute gap, which was pretty substantial in terms of that would take a lot for you to close down that gap. Um, the unfortunate part of this is the one of the girls in our group, she ended up breaking her chain on the second to last lap. Oh no. So her chain completely broke. She came off the corner. Um, and then it was me and another girl and we rode to, we had two more laps to do on our own. Um, which sucked cause she put in as much work as both of us did. Um, and, uh, anyway, I ended up getting first, in my category, second overall, um, which means I got to stand on a podium. I have a picture on the top of a podium, um, which was a really exciting moment. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. yeah. Feels, it feels we, really hardcore. I mean, we all, we all dream of it, being athletic or not. We want to be, <laughs> be on a podium for anything. Yeah. And um, the, the thing that I didn't know is in, so it's called the other synonymous word with four or five is category D. Ds don't get envelopes. Envelopes are money. Um, physically money and I was really excited because I'm like oh, I fucking won this race like I get I get paid for this shit <laughs> no D's don't get money but I came second overall in the race so if I had entered in the C category which is a, ironically what I raced the week before yeah. I would have gotten an envelope because I would have got second <laughs> and I got nothing oh. <laughs> but so, um, yeah so. Dif- difficult change the categories spike people the, <laughs> yeah well no equal opportunity D's, D's to A's yeah. let's go equal yeah, D, opportunity yeah D's to A's should like I'll give them money depending on the place yeah 
we don't want to we don't have to redo that uh that female golfer who was technically an amateur and won it all so there's that that's a big thing so there's a couple of races now that actually have um equal prize money for men and women there's a big gravel race down in the states which i will get the name wrong for or forget it and when it comes back to me you can insert it here yeah, we can, we can, um, we can plug it in at, at some point. Yeah, there are seven. <laughs> so it's called the Grand Prix. There's seven races in the States. Um, and one of, I think the whole Grand Prix. So out of seven races, I think you can kind of like elect which races count towards your Grand Prix title. Um, and it's equal prize money for men and women. Um, and that was one of the, I think it is either the first or the only, I'm going to say it's the first to actually have equal prize money for men and women. Yeah, I think, and I think it really should move towards that way yeah and there's there's lots of so this year we've had this is the first year that any of the women that i've currently raced with who have raced for either at least a year or two years or maybe more this is the first year they've had women only starts yeah which is huge and barry who is the organizer um of the race uh the spring series races he said this was the first time he's organized races for years this is the first time in a decade that he's had this 33 women is the most women he's ever seen in a start for a category which is huge and he was really he's three daughters one of which is an olympian um and he was like this is like this is the next step right is women kind of women sort of yeah getting coming into in. coming in and getting into these sports that were uh just more dominated by men especially cycling yeah. it's a very like just research based it's a very male dominated sport because women didn't have a tour de france for a very very long time last year was the first year women had a tour de france it's only eight days as opposed to the men's 21 yeah. but it's a start and there's three women at the top that are pushing and pushing and pushing for equal races meaning equal length which is a big issue yeah. is they'll do women's races shorter and it's why and equal steroids let's get yeah. it all done yeah. everything yeah so yeah that's that's bike racing in a very long nutshell of how how i started and where i've got to and the incredible welcoming that i felt along the way of like both women and men being super supportive it's like any niche sport i think rugby is a really great example of that of any sport that welcomes people in because if they don't there are no people and if there's no people there's no competition yeah. which means there's no events which means there's no fun yeah rugby i feel like rugby was always really good about that as sports went yeah you fight on the field and then yeah. you drink beers together and everyone's very very happy to do so and it's the same seemingly it's the same effect of it's it's the fact we enjoy that you're here because if you're not here this doesn't happen yeah no yeah that was that was definitely great i mean realistically just sports in general just they they bring people together even like yeah cycling is in one sense it's a competitive sport and single competitor but it, it yeah the, from the way you're describing it it's very much you s help people along the way within yeah. your races and you pick people who like if you go on a breakaway i need to either make sure that you're yeah. of my caliber because i need to make sure you're going to work equally as hard and put in maybe you're better at something than me and i actually need you to come with me because you're going to be able to beat yeah, me on the it's, hill it's yeah it's surprisingly collaborative for the level of company yeah, yeah. Surprisingly collaborative for an individual sport based off of a team group. And yeah. if anyone's watched the Tour de France, like base understanding of how that's an individual sport and also a team sport and then a by race sport, but also an over, like by stage sport, but also an overall stage sport. That's very, very, very complicated. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never, I've, I'm going to be honest. I've never, never watched a Tour de France. Watch it for the scenery. Even if you yeah. don't care about the bike. Yeah. Racing. You know what? To be fair, I have, You've seen uh, it in real I, have life. I have seen the scenery uh, and watched the little end pieces of it, but because it was, because it's a it's long, long, it's long. Yeah. 
highlights are worth it six minutes yeah. you can spare six hours but if it's on the background who cares if it's in the background it's totally fine yeah and then you know i'll, I'll check in again when they're near the end of the race there's um there's two there's like and it's i i feel ashamed that i know more men in cycling than female names um but uh there's a couple people that i'm very inspired by so uh his name's lachlan morton he rides for ef education it's called education first it's a team that's sponsored by Rafa. Um, but he last year did the Tour de France. He called it the alt tour. Um, so he rode the entirety of the Tour de France, uh, meaning he had no transfer points. So people who are in the tour, there's a bus or a plane to take you. If stage one ends at X town, there's somewhere to take you from X town to Y town for you to start the next day. He rode the entirety of the tour. So no transfer points, self-supported, meaning he didn't have a vehicle. There was no people fixing his flats. There's no people giving him a new bike or supplying him with food or nutrition or camp. Like there was no hotels. So he camped. He had everything he had on his bike. He biked basically double the distance, double the elevation by himself. And he beat the Peloton to France. That's insane. That was last year. So yeah. he raised money for um, bicycle relief. Basically gave, <laughs> I have to, I should, uh, I think it was the bicycle relief fund. So it was raising money to supply bicycles to people that didn't have bicycles that were like a big places, Africa to travel distances that are bigger than you can walk or in a shorter amount of time than you can walk in. Yeah. That was really integral to, um, you know, create opportunities for you that you wouldn't have had. Um, but uh, yeah, he did that all, all on his own. And he ended up wearing, he could, he had to take off his uh, bike cleats cause he was getting the issues. And he basically wore like Birkenstock, non-branded Birkenstock style shoes with one of the straps cut off. Like, see if I had gone and I could have done the same he was thing. Still wearing full <laughs> kit except for <laughs> shoes. But yes, yeah. like it shows like biking is biking. And he, he's been on a couple of podcasts since to talk about how, um, you know, the Eddie Merckx, who's a super famous cyclist, his, it was like, what's your training? Ride your bike, ride your bike, ride your bike. Like, it doesn't matter what, just like, just, if you love what you do, go do it. Yeah. Um, and it's the love of what you do that kind of continues on, which is something that I saw people, they stop loving what they did and they don't move for so, so long. And then they start moving or they find something to love again. And now they're injured or they're in pain. And it's like, there's, there's other options here where love what you're doing you're going to continue doing it if you continue doing it you're going to keep getting stronger and kind of work along that road um no it's like it is if that if if my story inspires you to start bike no but it's like it is something that if you didn't know existed you wouldn't you wouldn't know i had no idea how many races were on i had no idea how many people do what i do casually um and then you go beyond road there's road there's gravel there's mountain bike there's cross country there's cycle cross like it's an expansive universe like in any kind of sport or activity you kind of fall upon you find out all these random things um about yeah. it or inside of it and yeah, it's I found out about like uh i guess it's a, it's a form of trail biking where it's essentially a modded city bike with just these massive tires on it uh the guy who i actually trained at my my old job when i was working at biotech before uh before i left He's just a avid cyclist and he was telling me all about and I was like, oh, I was always always wondering when I saw those fat tires on city bikes. Yeah, fat tire bikes. Yeah. Yeah, I had no I had no idea what the point of them was. I was just like, I guess they kind of look cool. Well, but then, they, they they clearly have a purpose. Yeah, and then there's like BMX. Like you could yeah. keep going down the list of like cool things, and that was the other thing that uh 
me and my boyfriend we got mountain bikes last year because he was like you bike six hours to get coffee like what no i'm not gonna do that with you and i was like okay well i've got i've got dad to do that with me so that's fine um and he used to mountain bike and it was like okay well i guess i can try mountain biking so we did we went mountain biking for my birthday up at whistler and we went downhill and i was like okay like this is new this is different i go over gravel and i'm like shit this feels awful because i'm expecting my road bike to respond and a mountain bike is like <laughs> gravel like calm down like yeah. this is you've got way bigger problems than gravel to kind of worry yeah, I've, about i've done mountain biking a few times i actually want to get into it it looks it, it, it was, it's so fun yeah yeah the uh it's funny with uh with mountain biking uh i've done it a few times i did it when i was younger um when I, the first time I did, it, I was like six in Whistler. Yeah, and that's those are big drops. But the, the six year olds are the best because they're like, "Yeah, let's go." Yeah, I went from yeah, I went from absolutely terrified to like to because I skied, snowboard, done all of it. I was so used to being on Whistler with snow on it, and then suddenly I'm on. It's way better without snow. It's a lot better because there's I, no people. Yeah, uh, but then yeah, I just I I started bombing down i'm like oh this is actually a lot of fun you just had to sort of figure out to look forward rather than look down yeah because if you look down that's going to cause an injury yeah. yeah that was something like looking through a corner is very very important look at your exit that was like looking at your exit yeah well i was told mountain biking and like going through a berm and a berm into a corner leaning into the corner and i was like lean your bike and i was like i don't understand i was like well just lean your bike i'm like i what do you mean lean my bike i i am leaning my bike no you're not leaning your bike you've got to drop your handlebars i'm like i feel like i am and then we watched a couple of videos i got walked through, i got walked through a lot and i like i and I'm baby on the point of like, can I mountain bike? Well, no. Do I know what I enjoy? Yes. Technical stuff, I really enjoy. Big air? No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I had a friend growing up who was an absolute nut. Like, I think you have to have a certain level of screw loose to, to do the big air. I could do it when I was snowboarding. It was huge for me um, until basically... As a kid, it was like snowboarding, like doing like competitions and stuff like that. I had zero fear going up the like off just like the big air doing the black park and stuff like that until the day I got injured. And then suddenly yeah. it sort of makes you realize as a kid, you're like, oh, this, this there's, consequences. there's consequences to this. Yeah. I broke my wrist and my tailbone in the same day Oof. doing different things. Oof. Yeah, I broke my tailbone first. Um, so you kept riding after? Yeah, I kept riding because I guess there was just like adrenaline from the, the yep. competition that I didn't really... So I didn't really notice, but I launched off of a, a quarter pipe at the end of the competition and then popped out, uh, which is not great. Uh, you want to go just straight up pretty much. If you push out then you're not going to land on anything. You're just going to fall. You're going to go out and straight down. Yikes. And then, yeah, so I landed on my tailbone, uh, which, yeah, turned out I uh, broke it a little bit. I fractured a bit. But I didn't realize for a while I was going up the chairlift and I was like, ah, fuck, my ass kind of hurts. And then uh, it just kind of got progressively worse. And then, uh, but I was just still ignoring it. And then went off. Actually, the worst part was, I broke my wrist in the green park after that just to have a little bit of fun. I, uh, just to hurt your ego just, just a little yeah, bit Yeah, just more. to really, really bruise the ego after that. And uh, yeah, no, I, I uh, fell off of, a, off of a spine. I shot off of it and then clipped the, clipped the edge of my board and then just fell, landed right on my wrist. And then 
that time there wasn't the adrenaline so that was uh from the competition i immediately knew it was broken yeah yeah and then after that i uh i started getting weary and then i sort of i mean i was never like that good like i was competing but never but you competed like i competed yeah yeah I competed when I was younger, but like never to like a really good level. But then after stuff like that happened, it started getting into my he- own head. Also, it didn't help that I went from being about like five foot nothing, low center of gravity to puberty hitting and sprouting to to like five, five, nine, five, ten within a couple of months. And then I just have this awkward, lanky body that I don't know how to control. Yeah. Yeah. I watch people with that. I have never personally experienced that. I have been first row second from the end my all of my school photos that have ever been taken so I have not exceeded anyone else's growth patterns and I've always been not the shortest but the second shortest except for Trek where I was the shortest and Trevor O'Malley was the tallest and we were both born on the same day were you were you the shortest in Trek yeah Yeah. I beat Julia Noah all right you beat Julia Noah it was very close um but I thought it was quite funny that me and Trevor were born on the same day yeah um we were born on the same day, and yeah, um, so Eleanor and I went to uh, school together for one year, this outdoor education program, Trek, and uh, they would, it was basically a program where half the year you were doing full academics, the other half of the year, there was still some schooling involved, it's, it wasn't lawless, but there was uh, a lot of outdoor education, which got a lot of us into outdoor school. Yeah. And it got us into doing things outside. And learning new things that we hadn't done. Learning new things we hadn't done, yeah. It was a really good program. Um, yeah, it was actually fantastic. Also really helps a lot of kids get out of their shell, I noticed. Uh, there are a lot of kids who, from one end of the year to the next, completely different people. Um, yeah, no, it's a great program in Vancouver. If you can ever do it or whatever city you're listening to this from, if there's a version of it, definitely get your kids involved in that if you can. Uh, but yeah, uh, they also <laughs> sort of a side point, but they, yeah, they, they also organized you by your height and that's also where your locker was. So you just went from shortest to largest lockers and the lockers included all your gear and everything like that. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a short people suck, tall people rule. It was like your gear was associated with how tall you were. So they didn't have to buy new gear every year. So your backpack was a, not fitted for you, but at least estimated by your average height it was, over the years. It was roughly fitted. Accurate. For, yeah. Roughly accurate enough that you can, you can get by and go on your, on your trips. Realistically, all of the gear was fitted for, Outside of, was fitted for like two heights, but you know, it was a public school. So that's at least they got the program going. Yeah. And, um, I think that like, that was a, I think a big portion of doing something like outside of the norm that I realized I don't want to work a nine to five job sitting in a desk. Like that is not me Monday to Friday that, that I did that for a year in university during the summer. I worked for the management and the summer camps that I had originally coached for and like led, um, like organizational, like I organized the coaches, um, when I kind of like moved out the field and I was like, okay, well, you know, in a structure that's based on you keep moving up in the world, where was the next place? And it was like, oh, well the next management spot was kind of in the offices. Right. So I moved into the offices and I was like, I can't do this. And that was, I had like a mini meltdown of, I was working there. I was working at East is East in the evening. So I was working all day, like eight to four. And then I was working nights and I was like, I don't want to do this. And I don't like this. And this isn't anything that I love. Like there's pieces of what I love, which is like food and people and 
children and sport and activity but I wasn't doing any of that. I was doing something that was like paper pushing and sending emails. And I was like, this isn't like, if this is the next step of, you know, authority or whatever, I don't want this. You just don't want to be a part of it. And yeah, I, I and get it. <laughs> so I started, I started my yoga teacher training during that time. And I was like, Oh, thank God there's something like I, I can get paid to work out. Like that was my initial thought. And that like, it's, that was a whole beautiful journey, which I'm still on. Like I'm still part of one of the studios that I started teaching with, but I taught 11 classes a week and I had, I taught three classes on a Saturday morning with a 35 person wait list. Um, and I loved every single second of it. There's no days that I left work. Now, are there days that I started that I was like, oh, I'm tired. Like, I don't know if I want to do this today. There are no days that I left being like, thank God that's over. It was like, yes, this feels good. And I was like, that's the place that I wanted to continue feeling. And that was part of like when I was in Ken that I was like, I don't know what comes after this, but I know I want that feeling of like, I worked all through high school and all through university. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't know. I still went to bed at 10 PM. I, I wake up, I can wake up between four 30 and six, no problems, but eight 30, if you call me, I am not answering, not because I'm doing something. I'm not answering cause I'm going to sleep. Um, so there's like, there's, there's, that's been really interesting seeing those kind of two peoples and that I know, um, that will like send me a voice message and be like, uh, I know you probably won't hear this till tomorrow, but, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, of, uh, of, I knew, I knew I didn't want like a normal and normal life and, um, coming off of like how that's kind of changed like my my work and like kind of adjusted my work and also my expectations for my future that's something that's a continual kind of growth and development process but I also like I deal with people in a huge array of um, professions and the thing that stays consistent is the movement has to be a part of their life for them to enjoy it meaning whether that's like they enjoy their movement so maybe you do crossfit or maybe you do like what maybe you cycle maybe you run whatever your hobbyist activities are that include moving. But a lot of people just like want to be able to be there for their grandkids. Or a lot of people have been in a profession where they've watched people age and they've been like, I don't want to do that. And I've been really um, lucky that both of my sets of grandparents have been active. My granddad is 89. And like until recently, he was part of his crown green bowling team. Um, and like captain, like both of my grandparents yeah, so were captains. Still, he's still keeping it on. They're yeah. like, they move, they drive, they live alone. Like what well, they live. Well, my, my like, grandma lives alone. She doesn't, her partner has passed away. So she lives on her own. She drives, she does all her things are by herself. She's not in a home. She's fully active. She like walks, she goes to aerobics. Like yeah. my other granny was volunteering before COVID was volunteering in a hospital with people that were younger than her. Like I've been super privileged to kind of see that as, age and that's something that I feel very fundamentally like uh passionate about is age is not an excuse for pain and there's the amount of people that I've had that are I'm gonna say like 30s that have been like oh well I'm getting old like this hurts why is that something that we kind of like attribute that's okay in culture which is so sad because there there is no reason why well sorry I should say there is a reason why you might be hurting and age is a factor that means you may have to do more work or different work or you have to be aware of other things that maybe before you weren't because you weren't pre-injured. You weren't unactive for six years and then go back into a sport and be like, oh God, my knee and my low back. And it's like, yeah, you're not 15 anymore, but not because you're not 15 anymore. It's because you're not like running around after school and you're not like going to six practices a week. And the amount of children that I, well, on the 
other side that have like hockey practice like six times a week at 6 a.m i'm like damn like oh, you the on the ho- olympic ho- team and it's like no that's rack yeah yeah <laughs> oh was, or you got the, the the other end of it where you got just hockey moms they got honestly like i have a lovely <laughs> hockey mom that got yeah. an injury from shaking a cowbell yeah oh wow all yeah. right yeah she was a wild one yeah. lateral epicondylitis yeah I, I don't know what that is but yes <laughs> <laughs> golfer's yeah. elbow tennis elbow oh, that, tennis. okay gotcha go. yeah all right yeah this woman like she really shook that cowbell <laughs> yeah she really shook that she's cheering she's got Man. two kids in hockey you gotta you got, work hard you gotta work hard and you gotta get them up at like yeah that's my parents never got me into hockey because of specifically my mom was like i don't have time to do it like she's a doctor she's up early she's working early there was they they never made hockey easy on young parents. Yeah, yeah, I think you really have to like children. So that ties back in in a different way in terms yeah. of. Um, so my dad teaches kids soccer from the ages of one and a half to twelve. And you go one and a half, like playing soccer one and a half, and like base the basis of his kind of philosophy of coaching that includes his life coaching as well. That it's 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 a love. It's fostering a love of sport. And a love of sport is so um, ingrained and underlined with the experiences that you have. And if you can have those experiences with a parent, that sport becomes so much more meaningful to you of like you remember a moment when or you were part of an experience when I'm not sure I'm not saying that everyone has a positive parental child experience with sport or with activity or with their parent at all. But his hope is that he starts to foster that. And it doesn't matter what the sport yeah. is. Like the soccer ball is involved sometimes. Sometimes it's a penny. Sometimes it's clothespin tag. Like it doesn't need to be about the sport. It's about how do you foster a love of activity. And a lot of that is through relationships, whether that's a parent or a friend or a teammate or something along those lines of if you don't love what you do, you're going to stop doing it. And you're not going to love the exercise. Yeah. So what's something you would say, because you're, you're, you're talking about... Um people who are older even past 30 who just say that things hurt so they're not even getting into physical activity or they give up what's something that is that something you you work with a lot is it a big focus for you is there what can you sort of say to people to get in their minds like no you can still be active there's people there's people out there who are still being active into these late ages like you're saying so i have a seven-year-old and i wouldn't she's not my oldest client uh, her name is Barb. She's an ex-nurse. Um, by ex, I mean um, retired nurse. Um, she lifts weights. She deadlifts with weights. She does squats. She has a granddaughter that she wants to be able to move freely with. She has some health concerns that she knows she was a she worked with palliative care. She knows like if she she said it, it was, um, there's the three things uh, you need to. Well, I tell people like why why is squatting important? You can answer that. Why do you think squatting is important? With or without weight. With or without weight? Well, it's a great compound movement that involves a lot of mobility. 100%. Yeah. And also, what do you want to be able to do when you're 90? Oh, I guess you want to be able to crouch down or support yourself. Even better. You want to be able to get off the toilet by yourself. Oh, yeah. That's actually not, not what I thought, but yeah, but you're, you're right on that. Yeah. So if, if nothing you, else, yeah. I want you to be able to get off the toilet without assistance. And like, obviously, things might come up in your life that you might need assistance, which there is nothing wrong with that. But if I can make you strong enough that you can squat without assistance, you can pivot because that was something that she saw in palliative care is if you can't like getting in and out of a shower by yourself, you have to be able to stand, sit and pivot. If you can't pivot, meaning like turning, you're not going to be able to go from a sit position to a rotated standing position. Um, 
So that was something that she is super passionate about because she's like, I know if I lose one of those skills, my likelihood of needing extra physio physical care, extra physical aids um, that include another person, not just like a shower rail or like a step in shower versus like a bathtub. Like that's going to impact her quality of life as she ages. And she knows that because she's seen it and she's seen it with younger people than her. Um, so it's something that uh, I have a array of ages of people that I, that I deal with. But one of the things that I, that I open with of like why I'm getting you to squat and why I'm getting you to lunge. One of those things is like, yeah, do you want to have longevity in your aging of like, I don't want this to be a problem because I want you to be able to feel capable. I want you to be able to feel strong, which I think is a huge thing that is definitely more evident in, in women than in men, um, just based on societal restrictions and everything is kind of in our generation is changing quite a lot in terms of what women just have access to and are able to do because of, you know, we can do, we we're included in things now, yeah. which even, yeah, you seen like the difference in, uh, just the rhetoric around uh, women in weightlifting and yeah, women in resistance exactly. training. Yeah, exactly. And that includes trans women. That includes trans people. That it, it, there is an inclusion level that we're kind of expanding continually. Um, but the the aspect of it's not um, we're breaking down. I think that's a big thing with our generation plus is we've really and it's still a thing that's like happening. But we've we were actively working to break down stereotypes and the whole like. I think like let's say an Instagram tag is strong as the new skinny, right? Like there is no, there was a lot like body issues are not gone no. body, like body image, body wellness. Um, those restrictions are definitely not gone from people's minds from my own personal experience. It's not something that is gone, but I have so much more kind of understanding and respect and the way that I view my body now as a, a professional and also a female in sport is so so different that it's there's all these pieces that kind of come together and there's so many levels and so many different professionals that you need to be involved with not necessarily because you need to train like an athlete and you need to train like olympian you need a nutritionist and you need a dietitian and you need a physio and you need a kin and you need an rmt and you don't need all these professionals to like service you as an athlete but all these professionals provide you with an understanding that they know so much greater than you about why their um space matters yeah well yeah and you got so actually i kind of want to uh use this to lean into uh i feel like now uh because we have so much information out there but we also have so much shit information out there that it seems hard for people to find the right sort of information yeah, know what yeah. they're supposed to yeah. listen to or also is that just information or is that information for you, yeah. right? Um, I think that's a big piece of like, you need to be able to speak to professionals about yourself. And like, that's something that's so valuable because we're rampant with information. Information is free. Information is accessible, but it doesn't mean that's the information that you need to listen to. And like understanding also how much work it actually takes to deal with something like your physical, which I just know more about because I'm in it like physical care of like here's a rep and a set now uh, I tell a lot of people it doesn't people are like oh how many should I do how many reps should I do for the most part it doesn't matter unless you're consistent there's so many people that take home physio which is where kind of my profession kind of comes into use is people take home physio exercises oh you've been injured you've been an athlete you've competed how many times have you done your physio exercises <laughs> uh 
Maybe, maybe a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. I and then it sort of trails off after like a couple weeks. And, and like then, you said, you still have yeah. shoulder problems, yeah. right? Like why you as a young, healthy male? Why do you have something that's holding you back from being physically active or being still involved in a sport that you enjoyed? Like there is no, there shouldn't be a reason that you're like, ah, I've got a bum shoulder. I'm out, guys. Sorry. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, this is the bad one. This is the good one. Same with the knees. So I change a lot of language with people that I work with, too. I'm like, there is no bad and good. There's your fun side, which is the side you get to work on with me. And then yeah. there's your other side. I mean, maybe yeah. it's got some work to do. But this is your injured side in my in my head and how like it's just I mean, it's just renaming things. But like, why does it have to be your bad side? Why is it bad? What has it done to you? Actually, you've done something to I've it. I've done something to it. Yeah, I've it's struggled it. there. It's yeah. trying to fight for you. It's trying to do as best as it can. You're like, you're you're, you're the shit side, guys. Like, oh. <laughs> You can't keep up. And actually, it needs care. It needs attention. It needs to be worked with and worked on so it can increase its abilities. And there's not this like, I don't, um, we talked a little bit about earlier about how there's not, there's not bad professions. There's poor professionals. And I don't mean like poor professionals, meaning like, oh, there's, there's just bad people out there. But there's also... There's something to be said about a bad um, and not a not great mix. So that's another thing that um, I like to say I pride myself on is matching people with people because that's something that's super important that if you don't feel driven by the person that is your practitioner that you're working with, whether you feel whether it's driven, supported, um, uh, committed to, compassionate for, whatever word you want to insert there, if you don't feel connected to that person, what's your likelihood that you're going to continue? Yeah, you're going to you're going to maybe go on for like Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe maybe in two years, but at the end of the day, you're probably you're probably not gonna do uh, what you should be what doing. You should be doing, yeah. And maybe maybe you um, find benefits, or and then you're like uh, you drop off. And I think part of like the mundaneness of rehab is it's you know there's a part of it that's the same activity. There's part of it that's intensely frustrating, like pelvic floor activation with people. It's not fun teaching people how to breathe again. It's really frustrating if you're not aware of how you breathe. And then all of a sudden you have to start to think about something that you literally need to do to survive that you're like, I've been doing this wrong. Well, not wrong, but differently and differently. And can we work on that? And when we work on that, does that change how you feel and change how you move? And if the answer is yes, you're not coming back because you enjoy that. Well, maybe some people are, I should say. Some people are enjoying that process, but a lot of people, it's enjoying quality time Ca- quality and time, quality, quality care. care yeah. And it's like you have to have a connection with someone that you feel, um, you know, a part of coming back and you feel like they care. And I think that's something that um, there's so many people that I meet, they're like, this is not, this has not been my experience with ex professional before this time. And a lot of that is, I'm sorry, you you care how I feel and you care who I am and you know who I am. And also we're working on stuff. So I have someone that I work with privately now. And she said, one of the reasons she stopped working out with one-on-one with a trainer in person, it's like she walked in and they would do the same thing every day, no matter what she said. She's like, Oh, like I really like my shoulders, but well, this is the schedule. So we're going to do the schedule activity. And she's like, that was something that she was exposed to me through a group class from one of my patients who is a upper hand in a company. And he gave the, all his people on his team access to me doing a 30 minutes with them uh, once a week. Um, And that was based on mobility, a little bit of work, a little bit of strengthening, just kind of awareness of their body. And she's like, ah, I want to work with you. And I've been working with her. I work with her twice a week now. Um, So like, that's something that's interesting of like, she's come from all 
all my um, patients are now based off of telehealth. So I use Zoom or FaceTime. Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, how can you see what I'm doing? And I said, unfortunately, my eyes are not deceived by a 2D screen. And also your movements are not hidden by yeah how yeah how does that work with uh with telehealth because it is quite uh movement-based work yeah Yeah. um and so this is like let's go with my three selling points of why telehealth matters and why telehealth not necessarily again it doesn't work for everyone right i get that like if you want to do in person fantastic if that's a medium that you need to work with again it's not age restricted i have like my granny's on facetime she's 88 like there is no reason you know, maybe there's some coaxing, maybe there's some teaching involved in that process. Like there's people that I know that are younger than that. are like, it's not working. What do I do? It's like, we take a deep breath, we plug it in, we take it off, we turn it off and turn it back on again. And it eventually will work. Right. And um, in some cases, it's just, just take the sticker that you uh, put had over your, your, <laughs> over webcam, your, your webcam off. Yeah. yeah webcams aren't like in, inbuilt camera. Yeah. Um, the inbuilt one. Yeah. You have so many people now they're like, I can't see you. I'm like, is there a sticker on your like, Oh yeah, my privacy sticker. Let me whip that post-it <laughs> yeah. off. Um, so yeah, so the based off of like kinesiology is not, there's nothing in there that says I have to touch you. I study movement. I watch movement. I've watched movement for years. I've watched movement along many, many, many bodies, many different ages. And it's like, Maybe the difference between you being in person with me and you not being in person with me is I'm going to tell you, hey, can you move the camera or can you turn to the left or can you turn to the right or can you move this way so I can see from this angle in real life, I would just walk around you, right? Um, So really, yeah, it really does no difference outside of just having to do some slight movements. Yeah, Yeah. and like every kinesiologist works differently. A lot of them do more manual work, which I meant, yeah, if you're going to physio and you going to get needling you can't do that over zoom so there is like there is a um an importance of in-person care i would like to see that though yeah <laughs> just put that needle in there you'll be fine you'll be fine yeah just, you, this uh, is not it's uh, like in this region of the knee yeah that's not happening yeah. don't worry you're not gonna be self-needling yourself um but there's a piece of i realized the biggest kind of value that i gave to people was a little bit of um oh words um your ability to do something yourself without someone else, right? Like your insert word. Um, Hold on. Get the team involved. Yeah, get the team involved, Adam. What's the the word? Self-competency, maybe? Yeah, competency, yeah. Ability, like the, the less you need, not the less you need other people, but the more you... So you go to physio once a week. So how many, t- how many hours outside of that once a week do you have to yourself? someone can do math. Um, you have a lot of hours without diligent, hands-on assisted care, right? So when you go home and you've got your pretty list of exercises and you're like, yeah, I totally got it. They were there. They held my shoulder there. I understood it. You go home and you read the list and you're like, what the fuck was that supposed to be? And that's another limitation of like reading movement, God, that's a writing movement for people to try and do by themselves. Put your hands against the wall, pull your shoulder blade towards your spine, spread your fingers out. Like the amount of linguistic skills it takes to talk, talk, to talk, to talk, to talk someone through a movement. Movement is not supposed to be read on a two dimensional page, but the more I can okay, so you have your shoulder there. So can we pull it back a little bit? And can you pull it down? And then can you relax your armpit? Like the more you learn about your body and the more you learn about moving your body and your body in space, the more autonomy 
that you there we go the more autonomy you can give yourself to be able to provide yourself those movement cues on your own because the moral is the like likelihood that i'm going to be there when you're doing your exercises maybe once a week maybe twice a week maybe three times a week but if you're going to be doing your exercises without me as i hope you should um you're going to be able to you're going to have to replicate those movements on your own so what benefit that I can provide by physically moving you in space while I'm there and then you go home and you forget what that body memory, that muscle memory, that physical position of like, okay, she said here, here. Oh, okay, this is the feeling that I'm supposed to be replicating because I tell people it's a three-way conversation. It's me to you and then it's you to your body and then it's you back to me because I can't tell you how you feel. You have to tell me. So if I tell you if I ask people all the time, so what does that feel like you're working? And people either stutter or they're super in tune. And they're like, I feel like I'm working this. Okay, great. So if I wanted you to not work that and work this instead, what would that feel like? Oh, okay. Let me think about that. Oh, I understand. So like that piece of autonomy of being able to do movement on your own is the thing that makes that consistency piece matter. Because if you can't do something consistency consistently, you're not going to be able to keep up with it and you're not going to be able to see improvement over a per prolonged period of time. So that's why, that's why I sell telehealth as the way forward. But again, it doesn't work for everyone. The people that it does work for, that's the benefit that I think it provides is you to learn about your body and you to actually have to think through those questions of like, what do you feel is working? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Take a moment. Think about it. So that piece I think is as informative as anything else in terms of creating that relationship between you and your body and you also being able to discuss things to a practitioner which is valid across professions of you to be able to come in and say hey i'm dealing with blank and then your doctor your physician your practitioner is going to say so does it feel when do you when do you feel oh i don't know when does it bother you oh, i don't know okay so I need you to be able to answer those questions so I can give you more information to be able to rule out or to be able to progress you in a way that is going to give us answers about what to do now. Yeah, it's a way to help you understand your body because you're putting words into uh, where it's hurting, what's happening, and you can translate that from kinesiology all the way to different, different medical professions. Yeah, and yeah. the better you articulate that, the yeah. more information that your practitioner is able to give you based on the fact it's not no longer this like blank slate of like hey uh yeah sometimes my, my stomach feels weird yeah great yeah is it um, a sharp pain is it yeah. yeah is it a sharp pain is it a dull pain is it an ache is it inconsistent does it come yeah. on after you eat blah is it yeah. and if you can't answer those questions like, is there a way forward? Yes, but you're probably going to have to come back and provide that person with more information of like, that's a second appointment. And for most of us in BC, your GP appointment is 10 minutes, which is great if you know exactly what you're talking about, exactly one thing. Otherwise, you're waiting on. So that's the other thing. Physio appointments are generally like, yes, you can do an hour, the physio 100%. But um, the crossover, which is a big value that I think that kinesiology as a profession adds, is I get an hour with someone for basically around the same price that you get a half an hour of the physio, yeah. which means every ounce of information that I can collect or ounce of movement or what you tell me, I can then pass on to another practitioner in my system that I'm like, hey, by the way, this movement looked like this. They were having issues with X, Y, Z. Can you look at that further? And that's how like sharing practitioners, I think that's like the way forward of a more kind of integrated workspace, which is what I'm trying to create with EBR movement. I have two dietitians that work with me and a couple of physios that work kind of interconnected with me. Um, 
of sharing information load and also providing access to different um, uh, kind of like professions that are within the scope that matter to you when you're doing something. There's lots of reasons why. Why am I underperforming? Okay, is it strength? Maybe. Is it range of mobility? Maybe. Is it nutrition? Maybe. Is it sleep? Maybe. Like, is it psychological? Like, there's so many aspects that are going to affect how you do. It's important to kind of look at all of them if you have the opportunity to. All right. All right. So we, uh, you're, you're not going to see it with the magic of editing, but we did take a, a little bit of a pee break. Um, yeah. Spoiler, guys. Uh, turns out people who do podcasts also need to go to the bathroom at least once or twice during their two, three hour recordings. But uh, during that, uh, Eleanor uh, helped out my producer, Adam, with his desk setup, which now is to, uh, it's to make it better for his height and a 90 degree angle. It's uh, just uh, some books and uh, white claws stacked together to help him with his back and all potential issues. But yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was shocked to see it. It was it was a great little uh, little session that we got. I was gonna ask on some uh, uh, just basic movements or basic adjustments that uh, Eleanor could recommend to people who work the regular nine to five job, and she's basically done it for Adam. If you wanna if you wanna break down why you raised his laptop with a box of white claws yeah because uh, we're all about those sponsors yeah right. um no it's uh it's something that a lot of people especially working from home or working professionals or uh people that don't um maybe haven't been exposed to ergonomics in terms of why it's important um there's i'm five foot two so most chairs equipment is not made for people of my height meaning that i need to make some kind of adjustment for that height to then make sense for me. So I found uh, I never sit with my feet on the floor, mostly because my entire life, my feet have never reached the floor of a chair. Um, so I always have my feet up. I'm cross-legged. I have one knee bent. Um, you can maybe not have the best ergonomic position for me to be in, but it's definitely something that I feel comfortable for. And uh, Adam took me into his um, producing room and uh, he was asking, he was like, how can I make this better? And it's one of the things that people don't realize is most of the time, especially we work off laptops a lot. Um, if you work off a laptop at home and you don't have a, an extra monitor, you need to have your monitor eye height. And then your keyboard is therefore not at the height that it should be at, which means you need an external keyboard. And if you mouse a lot in your job, you also need an external mouse. So you can kind of go onto platforms with that, whether you get an external monitor to lift your eye line and you keep the laptop keyboard as your keyboard or you get an external keyboard and you lift your laptop line. So for Adam, for what he does, he doesn't use his keyboard a lot when we're actually recording. So there's no sense that his laptop needs to be on the desk interface, which is far lower, which means his head is down. Um, and he found himself, he said he was slouching or like not comfortable or kind of, you know, wriggling after some time watching the screen as we talk endlessly um so we just lifted his monitor so to see how that would feel and then there's another kind of integration too is there's a lot of ergonomic products out there which sounds like a really good tagline for something that should work for you but if you're not the hype for that ergonomic product that it was designed as you might need to make further adjustments to make sure those um pieces of equipment are now going to work for you and like we did it in person because i was in person but those just changes that i made 
could I have looked around the back of his background or asked him, hey, do you have a box? Do you have a shoebox? Do you have a couple of cookbooks or textbooks that you could use? Like that's something that's very easily um, done via another interface. I don't need to be here to fix what his not issue was, but fix something to see if he feels better. And that's the other thing. It's an open-ended question. Does it feel better? And that's something you're going to have to test and try and see how you feel. Cause that's the thing that's going to make the difference. If it can feel better, that's the thing that works. And it doesn't matter whether that's across practitioners or equipment is, do you feel better? If the answer is yes, great, that thing works and it works for you. And that answer might be different for every single person. So that's not something that's across the board. Um, you know, this thing works. Okay. Maybe, maybe it works for you, but not for you. So, um, that's something that's really interesting too, to kind of play with people is it comes back to that three-way conversation between your practitioner, your body, and, um, that conversation that goes back and forth, because I can only tell you so much, then you have to tell me how you feel. And if you feel worse, then we need to adjust something. And that's something that I think that I've realized in professionals is, that conversation is ever changing and it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the professional or doesn't mean there's anything wrong with their treatment protocol. But if you're communicating back to your practitioner that I don't feel better and I'm doing the stuff you're telling me to do, because it's one thing that you go in and they prescribe exercise or movement or stretching or mobility or whatever they prescribe and you're not doing it and you're like, oh, I don't feel any different. Well, that's, that's not the, that's not the easy answer. It's, yeah. That's basically just being like, you have a, the bacterial infection they prescribe you yeah did you take your antibiotics yeah. and they're no. Like, no i don't want to like all right well that's start with that yeah <laughs> so prescribing to treatment is important and it sounds like it's the the description you just gave with antibiotics like movement prescription goes the same way as you prescribe a certain number of movements a certain way a certain amount of times a certain amount of reps that over time are going to build to something and then fortunately it's not I'm not going to say taking antibiotics is passive because people have actively worked for that process to be effective for you. Um, but if you don't do what you need to do, if you don't take the prescription and work with it and work with it properly too, it's not, uh, I think there's a lot of antibiotics that you can't take and drink alcohol with, for example, well, or birth control becomes ineffective if you're on antibiotics, which is a fun fact that most females know. Um, I hope I'm right on that. Let's let's ask someone else before we. Yeah, I don't. It. I don't know the full details. I'm pretty on sure whether that's, yeah. I do know it's a thing. I don't know if it's a thing with all antibiotics. Yes, uh, I don't know if it's all. There's definitely yeah. some. There we go. We got some Google help we, there. We got Google help. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. We have an on-call doctor uh, <laughs> and pharmacist. I have a pharmacist. Um, well, pharmacist would be a great person to have on the show. Yeah, they know a lot. And there's a move in in BC too to have prescribing pharmacists as a complete aside. But um, things that uh, I don't know where we're going prescriptions uh um, movement and movement yeah. if you take your prescription and you do nothing with it or you do something that's counteractive so if you're doing your movement wrong and you're like i did i did what you said i did them 10 times i did them five sets i've been doing them okay but you've been doing them wrong okay well that's why it's not worked right like it's not but i've been, I've, I've done all the shit that i should have done but if you haven't been doing it correctly that is moot point, right? Like it hasn't, it's not going to make the benefits that I've prescribed it for. So if you've taken something in conjunction that no longer works when you've mixed it with X, then Y is redundant. Yeah. And this can go for even just working out and uh, resistance training in general. If yeah. you're doing the movements wrong, it's not going to give you, I mean, it might give you some results, Correct. but it might also cause other issues. Correct. Yeah. Lots of problems, fun well, problems, fun problems I deal with that you get to deal with. Yeah. 
There's no problem. And that's the other thing. There's no problems. Well, there's no, um, there's no bad exercises. There's bad execution. I think there's another great statement of there's no bad, there's no bad weather. There's bad prep, which is something we learned in Trek cotton kills. There's no bad weather. There's bad preparation for weather. So if you're like, ah, it's super cold. It's super rainy. It's bad weather outside. Well, maybe it's not great for some activities, but if you dress properly and you do an activity that's like warranted by said weather, there shouldn't be any issues per se. But if you go out unprepared for the weather, yeah, no wonder you're going to get a situation that you're going to, oh, I was cold and freezing and I couldn't do what I was going to do. Were, were you unprepared for said activity? Yeah. Same thing goes in when you're going into a sport unprepared, which I think is something that's becoming more aware to our age demographic is you're now going back into activity that you may be taking a big pause from and expecting it to feel the same as you did when you were doing it five times a week when you were going to the gym regularly when you were moving a plus 10,000 steps I presume for most people that were in high school a, a day um probably and, yeah and then you're going back into an activity and you're like it doesn't feel the same it's not because you've aged it's because you've deconditioned so if you we recondition you and re-strengthen you to a point where the load of activity that you're putting on yourself is under the load that you prepare for, it's going to feel fine for the most part. And for most people, if you prepare yourself um, properly for the activity, it's not going to immediately end up in injury. And I'm not saying injury can't occur because situationally load and force are nice physical factors. Yeah, and, that and, and, will... and at some point there is a, there is a bit of age as a factor. Yeah. Age yeah. is going to increase yeah. risk for yeah. things, which means you should increase training to mitigate, mitigate any risk. Counteract it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, because uh, uh, just weirdly reminded me back to rugby. So, um, the this guy Doug, he's the uh, he's a rep for uh, Russell throughout all of Vancouver. He's a great guy, big rugby rugby guy. And the other, he was telling me about this uh, rugby tournament that he was going to go. It was like the old boys club. And then uh, my uh, my girlfriend and I, we saw what we thought was him from a distance. Uh, like a week or week or two later, and he was just, but we weren't a hundred percent sure because it was a little bit far. But it was just him on a roller with what clearly was like a blown out uh, Achilles or ACL or something like that. And yeah, he definitely. I don't know if he did it from the the tournament, but yeah, it was just a. It was apparently his second Achilles injury. Oof. Yeah, different different Achilles too. Yeah, he's just. Uh, he might just also be. Uh, he sounds like he might have a predisposition for, for weak Achilles. And that's like, yeah. there's a lot of people that I work with that are hypermobile. And that's something that I didn't realize was a syndrome until, um, I started working with myself and realized that my mobility, uh, wasn't normal in terms of the range of normal mobility. And there's a lot of people that I've also worked with that are hypermobile. Um, not saying that this is what Doug has, um, yeah. But it's a component that changes how you train people. And a lot of things is like, I enjoy stretching. Do I need to do more stretching? Hell nah, I need to do more strengthening. Like there's no purpose in me getting more mobile unless I'm going into competitive, when you can still argue, competitive rhythm, rhythmic gymnastics. You need an aspect. They have a huge aspect of strength to be able to literally keep their body together. Yeah. Because the likelihood of me splitting apart is very i don't get sprained ankles my ligaments are very very loose so they will just they'll go they'll over just kind of bend the way they, yeah. they'll just bend where yeah. someone who is like the opposite hypomobile or has reduced range of motion the likelihood of you tearing something or overstraining something in a movement that's very different maybe you need to do more mobility so for that kind of person you'd look into mobility training and 
uh, you probably, person, yeah, and that person was your client, you'd work in with them on mobility. Yeah, you probably have yeah. a whole bunch of strength. You probably need to intru- introduce more tissue space and space across range of motion versus someone like me that's in the hypermobile range. I need to reduce tissue. I need to increase tissue tensity. I need something to hold me together because the likelihood of me just kind of bobbing around in the world, I need some structure to hold my pelvis where it needs to be. There's a physio that I saw that was like, please don't get pregnant until you figure out your pelvic stability because there's a lot of movement that can happen when you're pregnant, when you're increasing mobility through tendons and ligaments through, um, the hormones that happen and like that's something that's like necessary but also there's things that you can do to help prepare yourself better for whatever movements that you're going into in life in the future however that racks up to be um there's things that people can help you with so when you return to movement when you move with your kids when you move with your grandkids when you move when you move boxes for your parents when they move house and downsize that it's like, oh yeah I threw my back out again why Oh, I was picking up boxes. Okay. So can we train you to pick up things and move better? It doesn't mean like move heavier objects, but a lot of people need to move heavier objects. So something that we didn't touch too much on today, but something that I work a lot with, with people with moms, with moms post toddlers, meaning post a child that you are picking up on the regular. So a lot, and I don't mean just moms, parents in general, whether it's the, the, uh, mother, father, parental one, parental two, picking up said child. Whoever said figure or figures are. Yeah. yeah. You're you're moving an object that is 40, 50, 60 pounds until you stop picking your kid up. And maybe you pick them up post that. Fantastic. Like you should have the strength that that is not a limitation for you in your parental duties that you want to be able to lift your child. Fucking fantastic. Amazing. But why are you picking up five pounds in the gym? You pick up a 40 pound toddler. You're telling me you can't bicep curl more than five pounds. No, you're just accustomed to picking up those weights or maybe you feel limited by a female in sport. You don't know what to do in the gym. That's where a professional can can come in and give you support in those aspects. But also I want you to train for your life and above. I don't want you to train for under your life. And it doesn't mean there aren't exercises or injuries that you need to train lighter weight and different respect for whether that's banded resistance or non-banded resistance or free weights or machine weights. But there's the amount of people under training for their life needs. You pick up groceries heavier than five pounds. You can do heavier than that in the gym and creating strategies and creating movement, creating confidence around moving with weight, I think is super important for people. And it also just kind of seems like a a waste going into the gym and picking up lower than just your day to day. Exactly. And people don't understand like that's what they're, they they get scared, right? And unfortunately, it's a lot of women and older women that get frightened or they don't have any experience right and they go into a gym culture that is heavily um dominated by by men who there's a lot of super inviting men in a gym situation that if you ask or women in that sense if you ask someone in the gym who know like looks like they know what they're doing they will 100% spend time because they love it right like as professionals, generally speaking, if someone asks me a question, I am like, please ask me more. I would like to tell you more. And like, I don't know all the answers by any means, but I will talk for hours about the stuff that I do feel passionate about or know about because I know it makes a difference for people and people learn and then people ask more questions and then go to people who know more than me. And that's something too that's important with practitioners is passing on when you don't know the answer anymore. So there's people that I am definitely not an expert power lifter. I can take you to a point where there's movements that I understand and I know that I can build you from the base that you're at. And then I'm going to be like, great, you want a power lift? 
you need to go talk to someone else because they know far, far more than me in that dimension and they are an expert in their field, at which point I'm going to pass you on to someone who knows more than me in that respect because that's who you should be going to if you want to learn more about X. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway to, to go on. It's just people are going to be very focused on their field and what they're passionate about. And it's not necessarily going to be the case that everyone is a jack of all trades practitioner or worker. If Even they, if you are, you're not an you're, expert you're not in an all expert. trades. Yeah, yeah you're not going to know everything. That's going to take... That's going to take so many years of training that you would be pretty much geriatric at that point. And you ask any professional, they have some extra level. They have some extra level of, they have someone that they'd be like, oh, this is my guru or this is my teacher or this is my coach or this is every professional in every industry will have someone that they look up to because we're constantly chasing a more knowledge, but we're also constantly like, I don't want to say, well, yeah, obsessed, but people are pretty, yeah, pretty obsessive. But I think there's something like in the pursuit of knowledge, the more, you know, you realize the more you don't know, right. It's that same kind of open principle that I think you'll find with a lot of fantastic people you talk to is like, they know so much. And every time you talk to someone, you're like, holy shit, they, they know so much more about whatever, where I thought I knew a little bit. And then they're like, I know nothing by the way. Like there is someone that knows so much more than me. And that person will say, there's someone, there's so many unanswered questions or keep going up the line of expertise and you'll find more questions that have more answers that is not, it's not, there isn't a straight answer for stuff. Like we're all individuals in this big scheme and there are themes that work and there are, um, you know, consistencies across people, but there's so many unanswered questions and big and big questions to be answered and to find the answers for. Yeah. I, yeah, I would definitely agree. Uh, there's a, I mean, there's essentially just a never ending chain of command of answers and different sort of knowledge that, uh, yeah, you're, you're always going to be able to keep learning, keep progressing and you're always, but you're going to have to look for one more Avenue or multiple avenues. You can't just expect it out of one person because even the most knowledgeable person still doesn't know tons of things. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it back and pivot for the last little question here. Uh, just something back to what you touched on at the beginning of the podcast. Uh, you're not really sure if you're going to uh, physiology or where you're going, but do you have a sort of idea of where you want your career to go right now? Like, do you plan on opening a clinic? Do you want to focus on online classes, maybe fitness sessions, or uh, continue to work with women and older women in fitness? Uh, I think my my big thing for this year was say yes to opportunities and kind of be open to like where those take me, assuming um, they present a win-win um, in terms of both sides. So that's something that I realized that until COVID, I didn't know the life that I c- could have had. Um, I worked between six different clinics and I didn't realize I left my house in the morning, I got home at night and I went to sleep and I got up the next day. I packed my bags for the three jobs that I had that day. I got on my bike and I biked to work. Um, and so presenting like say yes to opportunities that are a win-win meaning they need to work for you as well as the other person that you're working with. And that's something that I find more and more as I work as a professional is I open a conversation with someone of like, let's try this. If it doesn't work for you or it doesn't work for me, that's not a successful relationship going forward. Cause one of us is going to resent that. And that goes, I've, I've taken that kind of lesson more and more into all of the relationships that I have that 
I'm very okay if you say no. Um, and I'm very, I'm getting more okay with saying no myself because that's how we can create something that works going forward. That's with patients. That's with uh, my partner. That's with my work. Uh, is something is creating kind of resentment in the relationship that's not progressive over a long substantial period of time. So kind of my like inside my head goal is to create a space where multiple practitioners can work together to support patients as their own contractors. Like I think there's, there's something that I found really restricted about being an employee, for example, of like having to ask someone else, if you can take vacation that you've been allotted that like bamboozled my brain of like, I'm sorry, you gave me vacation, but now I have to ask you if I can take it like that, that hurts my head in terms of it. Like I have a finite time on this earth that I don't know when it's going to end creating those restrictions. And like, there's a lot of, we you need to plan for your vacation and get it approved by multiple boards. I yeah. It. Yeah. There's a piece of that that I wasn't okay with in terms of my values and my things that I felt very passionate about is I wanted to be able to have freedom. And I also want it all. I want to be able to have financial security as a self-employed contractor, but also be able to do what I want when I want, which I know I can't, I can't have it all. But that's my goal is to have it all um, in a way that works um, for me. So I think that's the biggest piece is like say yes to opportunities that are a win-win for both sides. Um, but also like I'm trying not to kind of close down opportunities that I don't know until I experience it and have a try of like, hey, we're both okay with this trial space. And then then we regroup and it's like, there's no bad feelings. I've, there's someone that I asked about, hey, do would you be interested in doing X, Y, Z? And they had time to think about that. And they're like, you know what? I would really like to say yes, but right now that's not gonna work. And I was like, great. I don't want you to go into something and say yes and kind of be like, oh, I've got too much on the plate and then I've got to bail. Like I want to kind of create that relationship with people that I work with and around and for and to that it's a conversation that's ongoing of like, how can we make this work better for both of us? Um, that's the vision that I see for my future is kind of creating that as a successful uh, pinnacle, whether that's online, whether that's in person, uh, in person in Vancouver with a space, would I love to kind of create a space exactly as I want it, that there's dogs running around while you're doing your physio and also having a private session. That's super like the amount of people that cry and tell me things about their lives. Like I want to be able to create an inclusive space that that's available to you. Um, $10 million, I think would take me a long way down that route. So, uh, if yeah, you so would, win the lotteries up there, yeah. If yeah. you, if you, if there's anyone who was like, yes, that's what I want to create. I got money in the bank to, that's ready to kind of pour into something that's going to create an interactive, um, health wellness space, which they exist, right? Like there are these yeah. amazing places that create an inclusive atmosphere, um, that I would love to kind of create in my own way. Um, I'm not sure how that is going to go in the future of the blank five-year, 10-year, 15, 20-year plan or yeah, what I'm going to be doing? Like it's, a, it's a good ride and it's a good sort of end... Uh, hazy plan. Hazy plan and work sort of utopia. To horizon. Look, horizon, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good way to go. That's, I mean, I'm not going towards making my own clinic or anything like that, but I do have same sort of ideals where I do think a lot with the the standard nine to five that we've got or in my previous case i guess it would have been seven to three and then getting three weeks vacation and if it, you're lucky if you're lucky yeah i got i got three weeks and then plus plus a day or a half day every year 
uh, and yeah, having to, I was pretty lucky in my old work that they, they were pretty accommodating for when I needed to leave on any of it, but same time, just having that restriction, uh, yeah, it was just something that eventually I just couldn't get forward. So I decided, fuck it, I'm just going to do it all myself and go see if I can have that work life that I wanted to, that I wanted to have and have that sort of career and just take, take that sort of gamble and that leap. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, uh, I guess I don't really have any other questions, but thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. My pleasure to talk your ear off for hours. No, this has been, this has been great. This has been fantastic. Um, did you have anything you wanted to plug related to either, uh, bike racing or just, uh, your site or anything like that? Uh, definitely. Um, if you're interested in working with me, uh, EBR movement, you can Google that. I, I have a website. I could definitely work with some yoga. I definitely got some mobility <laughs> issues. Um, yeah. that, Doug, Russell, Doug, if you're listening to this, yeah, your Achilles, your Achilles start doing yoga with EBR movement. <laughs> um, and, uh, there's definitely like, if you're, um, thinking about kind of opting into cycling and racing the, the my my inbox is open feel free to slide in with those uh dms, DMs uh, yeah. eb roberts on instagram e double b i e roberts um and uh yeah there's uh I, I love i love talking to people about things that they love to do or want to do and kind of creating more more support around that um you've got you've got problems i don't maybe have the answers but i definitely have someone that i can pass you on to and i feel very passionate about creating con meaningful connections between people so uh yeah hit me up all right everyone hit up ebr movements hit up eleanor Build a program with her. Do it all. I highly recommend it. I'll, I'm going to join in as well because I could definitely definitely deal with some yoga and uh, well, definitely uh, fix this uh, not-so-good shoulder, reframing the words, this not-so-good shoulder that I have. The fun side. The fun side. The, I got the fun side and the other side. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, everyone, that's, I guess, the end of the show. <laughs> Thank you for joining on the first episode of Doctors Without Bar Tabs. Um, hi, Mom, and uh, hi, Danica, and, you know, the one other person who decided to check in. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate if they shared this video with your friends, family, socials, you know, all the things. Um, it would help me out a lot. Do you want to be a guest on this show? Are you looking to get involved? Looking to see more of what's just going to happen in the future? Maybe you hated it and you want to let me know that I'm garbage and I'm a garbage person and I have trash opinions. Also, all fine. If you want to do that, whatever it is, check out newdoc.me and you can connect with us. So that's nudoc.me. The link will be in the bio. If you are looking to make yourself a cocktail, do be sure to check out Odd Society Spirits and pick up something amazing. Thanks for joining and have a great day, everyone. Exit music. <laughs> <laughs>